Hey everyone, it's your host, Ben Montgomery. As we continue to evolve the Records Revisited podcast, we're going to do a few episodes that don't necessarily fall within our usual format. We're going to do some week-long tributes to some artists that we feel have been overlooked or forgotten. This episode is a classic example of that. I had the pleasure of interviewing David Malloy. And you may not know the, the name, but you absolutely know his songs. David was a longtime songwriting partner and producer for Eddie Rabbit and was involved with most of Eddie's recognizable hits. And he was involved with some other recognizable songs during that time period, the likes of Dolly, Kenny, and Tanya. And I don't even need to add those performers' last names to, to the conversation. And since the name of our show is Records Revisited, we're always trying to revisit records that people may have forgotten or may have overlooked. And outside of some really well-known songs like You and I or Driving My Life Away or I Love a Rainy Night, I think there are a number of Eddie Rabbit songs that may have been overlooked and need another revisit. And if you're not interested in this interview and only want to hear us do our typical format of revisiting a record in its entirety and doing the whole scoring thing, we'll wait until later this week when we talk about the Eddie Rabbit record, Horizon in an episode with our friend John Lammer of the Hustle Podcast. But I think you'll enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed conducting the interview. David was a blast and is full of great stories. And we might even talk about UFOs as well. Enjoy. So I am joined by David Malloy, and if you're not familiar with who David Malloy is, he was Eddie Rabbit's longtime songwriting partner and producer, uh, including a lot of other hits for other people uh, that are not Eddie Rabbit. We'll just get started from there. So, <laughs> so, so David, typically at the beginning of each of our podcast episodes, we 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 joke around with our, our little uh, icebreaker question of what T-shirt are you wearing? Are you a T-shirt guy? You know, yeah, I am. I'm not a T-shirt guy all the time. And it's, it's like a Rick Rubin kind of guy T-shirt, you know, <laughs> but but I am. Uh, 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 yeah, but but only because I went on a, on this major diet and lost a bunch of weight. So now my t-shirts don't fit tight. So now I enjoy them. Yes. There you go. So. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I need to, uh, I need to also partake of a diet cause there's a few <laughs> that are uh, a little snug on me these days. So, uh, I'm wearing, a, I'm wearing my Johnny cash t-shirt. Nice. Uh, my dad worked with Johnny cash a lot, you know, I, and that, that was kind of why I wore it. Cause I, I yeah. knew a little bit of that history of, of your dad, uh, working with, uh, the man in black. So cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I want to set the stage for why I invited you to come on the podcast. So a few months ago, someone on Twitter had posted a photo of the billboard hot 100 songs from a date. And I think it was 81 or 82. And right. so, so my brother-in-law and I were listening on YouTube and Spotify, all the songs in the, the latter part of the hot 100 that we didn't readily recognize. But as you go further up in the charts, like the Eddie rabbit and crystal Gale duet, you and I was it, like nearing the top 10. 
I think we saw your name in the credits of a Kenny Rogers song. I think Love Will Turn You Around was was probably in the charts at that point as well. Right. You're right. Yeah. And, and given that, I kind of went on an Eddie Rabbit kick. And usually when I'm binging an artist's work, um, I tell people that I'm going into a rabbit hole. But, um, you know, there's <laughs> there's totally a pun right there uh, because I was literally in a rabbit hole researching Eddie Rabbit. And I forgot right. how great he was. And so uh, a little research later, I, I had to find you since you were associated with Eddie for so many years and were a big part of that heyday. And one of your great replies was, so I have a great story about the making of suspicions. And once you said that, I couldn't wait to talk to you about it. So do you want, okay. Do you want to save that story for later or are you one well, of those? You, you tell me, man, I've got, I got a bunch of stories. I've been, you know, I got to say that every every great song that I've been a part of has a unique, great story about it. You know, there were I was having any hit I've ever had at that time. I was having the greatest joy and time of my life Yeah, on that song. And when those songs are right, there's nothing nowhere else on the planet or anything where I'd want to be or do, be doing other than in that control room at that time, hearing and working on that music. Well, I'm always cool with having my dessert first, so so let's do it. Let's talk about suspicions. So, okay, well, suspicions. All right, here you go. So, I I was big on 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 hiring musicians and taking them to another city. And the reason I did that was I felt that that when I got a musician out of town and he got away from whoever, his significant other, his bills, his dog, whatever it may be that it was easier for them to focus in on the project yeah. and become a part of the project rather than taking their one hour lunch break and then, you know, getting in the middle of their life and then coming back. I found that once I had them like that, that, that they were, they were quicker to become the actual band of the project. And, and I overpaid, I paid more than anybody else paid my records. <laughs> my records cost two to three times more than anybody else's records at that time in Nashville was costing. I was paying double states, double scale, two sessions when that was absolutely unheard of. But though that music has stood the test of time, I just yeah. went to the bank today with, with BMI <laughs> nice check from work I've done way back when, and that, that music has stood the test of time. So I feel I was right. Absolutely. So suspicions anyway. So we were out in Los Angeles at Wally studio four. And at that time, I, you know, wherever the greatest music was being done, I wanted to be in, in that studio. I wanted to go there. I wanted to be part of it. And McCartney had done Venus and Mars in this room and a few other acts. I can't recall right now had come out of Wally Hyder studio four. And so I took the muscle shows rhythm section, flew them out to LA and we were tracking at Wally Hyder's, which is right off of uh, Santa Monica Boulevard over there in Hollywood. And right next door to this was a famous restaurant. I think it was called Martoni's. It was a famous restaurant uh, that shared walls with Wally Hyder's Studio 4. Even to the point you could almost smell the, gar smell the garlic coming through the walls in the <laughs> restaurant. So anyways, we were done with the album. And so as kind of a little celebration, we all went next door and I booked a private room in the back for everybody. And some of us weren't hungry. It was early 80s, and I'll leave it at that. Some of us were hungry, and some of us weren't <laughs> hungry. Okay. So 
<laughs> I went up because of being the producer and who I was. I went over to with the band over to the studio while Eddie and some of them weren't hungry and they stayed in the studio. So anyway, so we were over there and when we got done, I kind of wandered back a little early because I was just, you know, wondering what Ed was up to and what was going on. So I went back over there and we had uh, everything was powered down, but I always had a uh, a two track tape machine loaded just in case something was happening musically that I wanted a snapshot of, so to speak. You got to remember, we had got no Internet. We had no cell phones. There was no quick record. There was nothing at this time. OK, so if there was anything that I thought <clears throat> I wanted to capture, because sometimes when those guys are, are goofing around, you get these great grooves or sounds or things that they normally wouldn't do. So anyways, uh, Randy McCormick was the keyboard player. And Randy McCormick had, we had come back a little bit early and left some of the guys and we had a Rhodes sitting on top of the stereo cabinet. And with the stereo cabinet, you could turn the volume up and you, you had those twin speakers underneath the Rhodes and you could hear the Rhodes in the room. And so, and so we were, you know, we were, we were, we were rocking, we were high, you know? And so Randy's sitting at the piano and he's, he starts playing the piano and he's got this great little groove going. And I walked over to him and I started kind of just, singing a melody just this noting so about that time eddie walks over and he says what are you singing and i said well i'm just singing this melody to what randy's playing on the piano and he said well what part that melody you're singing what is that he says i think it's a chorus and he says i think that melody you're singing is a verse and in the time it takes and i swear to god on this in the time it takes to play that song about three and a half, four times, it was written. Wow. It was written. And so during this, uh, uh, Roger Hawkins was the drummer, the legendary famous Roger Hawkins, Absolutely. the muscle soldier in the section. Yeah. Roger Hawkins comes in. He's sitting on the drum on the drums. The headphone system is off. So all, he, all Roger can hear is the Rhodes piano speakers from across the room. We get this song written. Even walks over, work on the lyrics. A lot of that lyric of that song poured out of Eddie. It was just, it was like he was channeling and out, out pours this lyric. You know, we tightened up the lyrics some, whatever. And, and anyways, in that quick amount of time, the song got written. So Peter Granite was the engineer. And I said, I said, roll the two track because this is so cool. I want to save this little thing. Now, at that time, I've got Randy playing the piano. Eddie's just standing there, no microphone on Eddie, just standing. So you can't hear Eddie. And across the room, maybe 20 feet, is Roger Hawkins on the drums, listening to the Rhodes coming, uh, piano coming through the speakers. And he's playing along with Randy. So I said, roll the two-track. Now, the two-track wasn't loaded, hmm. but the 24-track but the machine was still loaded from the sessions. So Peter put the 24-track machine in record. The mics and everything were still on, but he didn't turn on the headphone system. So Roger was playing to the speaker cabinet of Randy across the room. That is the track. Mm. That take is the start of that track of that record. Oh, geez. So, so that record started with Randy on the Rhodes piano, Roger playing drums, outlandishly playing drums. I asked Roger later would you have ever played the drums like that? He said, no, not in my life. I would have never have played the performance like that if it wasn't for what we were just doing, because it, you know, it didn't, it didn't think any of it mattered. So, so we had the piano and the drums recorded. Now 
that song was so out there at the time that I was thinking, well, this could be a great R&B song. We can pitch it. It's got nothing to do with country. And if you listen to it today, it still has nothing to do with country, really. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you listen to it. It did go on and become the Burton Award most performed BMI song of the year. Okay. Right. But so I said, you know, roll the two tracks. So, so in the meantime, we had to get vocals because Eddie was leaving on a flight at 730 in the morning. And so we had to get vocals done before he left. And so we went to another studio and started doing vocals. And that studio broke, broke down. And at 1.30 in the morning, we wind up at Village Recorders uh, over off Santa Monica. Great. Another great studio. And, and it's 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to get vocals. We're finally getting done. We're all wide awake. For You can fill in the blanks. We're all <laughs> wide awake. So uh, Eddie says, let me throw a vocal on that track that piano drum track because i'm not going to see you again for a while so at least we got something that's the vocal mm. that one pass is the vocal of that record to that vocal eddie sang the the piano and the drums i got david hungate who i'd never worked with the legendary david hungate right bass player for toto boss gags came up with the famous lick that don't pop you know the little thump you know the thump lick all that stuff the genius david hungate and i never had worked with david hungate he walks in we're at village recorders he listens down to, to at one time he says you know i've always wanted to play with the muscle souls guys and in two passes that was the bass <sighs> david later moved to nashville as many of the guys did yeah. you know that i had worked with in these various uh situations a lot of the muscle shoals guys james stroud a lot of the guys that i worked with ended up moving to nashville so so david put on the bass and i and i proceeded to build this song eddie never heard the song from the time he put the vocal on it wow had never heard it again that's how much trust eddie had in me and i had in him that's the bond that we had and my dear sweet friend even stevens that we wrote all these songs with who is to this day is still like a brother to me. We share so many great memories. We miss Ed all the time. He died way too young. Yes. But anyways, that, that was that record. And we built that record up. And at the time, the solo, and I hate to keep rambling about this, but, but I want to talk about it because I was always trying to push the envelope all the time because <laughs> I always felt like if the audience has got your number, in other words, and, and, and this is back in vinyl. So I always envisioned the needle coming down on the record. And I always could see the needle with my eyes closed coming down on the record. And I always thought, you know, if you know what the record's going to sound like before you hear it, you're over with. So there always has to be this surprise, this thing where the audience goes, oh, my God, I never expected anything like that. That was always where I was trying to get to. Right. So I wanted a solo that was a guitar solo in unison with a flute. Because I knew I couldn't just have a flute. There's no way country radio would ever allow anything like that. But this is what I wanted. And I thought, well, if I got a unison of a guitar and a flute, <coughs> I would be okay. Now, I was working for Electra Asylum Records out in, in L.A., and they were the hottest label. You know, you're talking the Eagles, Jackson Brown, yeah. Queen, you know what I mean, on and on, right? You know, they, 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 they were it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, they had everything. They were the thing. And so I called up the, one of the A&R people and i said i need a flute player so they gave me the number to ernie watts who was like one of the great brilliant genius kind of jazz flute players <clears throat> so he came over with a little echoplex and he put on the flute and he was putting the flute on and he had this little lick that he did he went da, 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 da. and i you know otherwise he was just kind of jamming and i said i love that lick you're playing right there can we make 
the instrumental kind of based off of that, and I'll add the guitar later. Okay, so I tried to add the guitar later, and it always sounded like crap. So I left the flute on there. And, and so when I went into the promotion department with the record, talking to, to Kenny Batiste, he's passed away now. He was the head of pop promotion. And, you know, and Eddie had some hits. We were on a roll. So he listens to it. He looks at me, gets a funny smile on his face. He says, you know, I don't know what this is. I've never heard anything like it, but it's incredible. I tried to find it, but it gets me sometimes. I get the suspicion, even though I know that you love me, baby. And I really shouldn't feel this way. Suspicion, I can't help it, you're just so I'm afraid somebody's gonna steal I mean, I was just, yeah, I mean, it was, and it was just, you know, you know, I'd like to think, I was like to think that I was some genius who brilliantly had all this masterminded, but I really didn't. Yeah. It was just, it was just flying by the seat of your pants and this sounds great and this doesn't. So this stays and this doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. One of the follow-up questions that I had on my notes here was whose idea was the flute? And so you just answered yeah. that for me. Yeah, there you, there you go. Yeah. Because I tell you, man, I don't know, how, you know, podcast, what I can say, but it was balls to the wall, put that flute on there. I'm telling yeah. you what, man. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I didn't give a shit. I had a label, God bless Electra Asylum. You know, you know what? And this is, this is going to blow everybody's mind in this podcast. Do you know, I never had to turn in a budget. I never had to get song approval. I didn't have to do crap. Wow. They believed in me. They believed in us. They believed that we were on a roll. And by God, they backed us. And that's what that's how the industry used to be. They got behind your artist. And if they believed you're on a roll, they let you go and they let you make your music. And yeah. they weren't there to judge, to criticize, to get their ego wrapped in it. They let you make your music. Yeah. I think we'll 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 get into some of that conversation about the labels as we as we go through through uh through this. But that I'm glad I asked about suspicions. Um having the dessert first sometimes pays off, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so did you watch the Ken Burns documentary on country music? I've seen part of the Ken Burns documentary. I, I, I say that I hate to say I haven't seen the whole thing because I feel like an egotistical ass, but I have seen part of it and I was really blown away, you know? Yeah, it was really good. I, I did feel though that the documentary overlooked Eddie. Well, there's a lot of people that got that got overlooked and, and, you know, and, and, and there's some people who were part of it and did a lot of talking and I really wasn't sure why. So it was just, you know, whatever, but the, the right. end of the day, the thing's a huge success and everybody's happy and whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? So Eddie, you know, Eddie was so reclusive in his way. There's a lot of recognition and stuff that Eddie didn't get, but you know what, you know, what happened with Eddie it was a guy named Eddie rabbit, and Dave Malloy and even Stevens came together and created a superhuman name, Eddie rabbit. Yeah. And I think we've actually put a bend in the in in the river. We put a bend in the flow of the river. We change things. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, just going back to the the overlooking, do you think it was because he was a crossover artist or that he passed away just really young? No. You, yeah. No, you want to know what it was? Yeah. I'll tell you what it was. Yeah. One, yes, he was a crossover artist. The CMA didn't like him. And we and we were we were pot smokers. <laughs> In a time, you know, it's the reason Waylon and Willie and everybody was everybody was running off to these little uh, studios with these little hole in the walls because people wanted to get loose and get high and have a drink and have a puff and not worry. And at that time, that was not condoned. That wasn't what you did, but it was like, you know what I mean? So you found these little places where you could be yourself and you got away from the CBS studio and the RCA studios yeah. and the unions and all the shit, you know? And so Eddie, Eddie didn't, you know, he was so reclusive, you know, Eddie, you know, we, we would, Eddie would only go on the road like six months. When we were in the studio, Eddie's manager was not allowed to talk to him. He had to go through me. And that wasn't my idea. That was Eddie's. Eddie felt that the magic was in the songwriting and he had to protect the songwriter in him. And yeah. so <clears throat> during the time of, of the music and, you know, of writing the songs and doing it, he wouldn't, the manager couldn't even talk to him. It, it, the guy would pull his hair out, poor Stan Morris to this day. I mean, he'd pull his hair out that he couldn't communicate with his artist. And here's an artist who's one of the biggest artists in the right. nation. He can't talk to his act because <laughs> Eddie felt that, that he had to protect that. So we, I would get this, man, Ben. I would book these sessions. We wouldn't have a single fucking song. Yeah. Nothing. And I'd already have the sessions booked. We'd get together and then start writing. That's how much freedom we had with the label and everybody. That's, that's what we had. That's great. And that was with Electra. So how many records? That was with Electra Records. Yeah. yeah. How many records did you guys end up doing with Electra? I worked with him like 13 years. And then I think even pretty, and then, and then it reached a point one day and I said, Ed, I said, you know what, Ed, I've run out of ideas for us. I mean, I feel like I've gone every frontier that, that you and I can go, you know? Yeah. And so, and he agreed, you know, it was that time. So it was never anything bad about it. And, you know, I didn't produce anybody else. Until the Kenny Rogers thing came along, I didn't produce anybody else because I felt like what I was doing with Eddie was a sound I had with Eddie, and I protected that sound. Yeah, I mean, greedy, greedy. I mean, you know, through my ego and my greed, I could look back on it now and go, "Fuck, I should have used that on everybody." But you know what? That isn't how I looked at it, man. <clears throat> we had a spe something special and a special sound, and 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 it was Eddie's sound and his style, and the three of us who made this superhuman name, Eddie Rabbit. And so I didn't, I didn't do anything else. So. I'd take off half the year and half the year we'd work all, all stuff that's unheard of now. Right, Ben. I mean, it, you know. It's uh, the record <laughs> industry is so different from than it, what it was in the seventies and eighties. Just yeah, way, yeah. way different landscape. Let, let's go back to when you, you, you first started working with Eddie. When, when was that? Oh my God. I think 76. So that would have been what in oh, the man. catalog would have well, been I, I, third record. I mean, I, I, I graduated high school in 1970. Okay. And I started as an engineer the next day because I told my father I wanted to be a record producer. Okay. I wrote a theme on being a record producer. It wasn't much of a theme when I was like a, in the 10th grade, you know. And so I told him I wanted to be a producer. And he said, well, he thought the greatest producer started in engineers. Because you got to know your medium that you're working in. So he said, become an engineer. So I said, okay. You know, I had a great, beautiful relationship with my father, and I just lost him a little over a year ago. Right. And 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 through my entire best pals, and he was the the greatest mentor and blessing in my life. And you know, 
I mean, I was, I was so lucky and fortunate to be his son. Yeah. So anyways, uh, 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 I wanted, so I wanted, I, I got so many great stories. I don't think you got enough time, but anyways, <laughs> so I went to my father, I was working at Ray Stevens sound lab. Remember Ray Stevens, guitar, oh, yeah. band, all that, you know, yeah. everything is beautiful. All that. Okay. So he had a recording studio and I was working for him and an engineer named Ben talent. And so I went to my father he had just produced Help Me Make It Through the Night on Sammy Smith, you know, the the, the great Christophers. And, and six million singles the guy sells with a secretary and one promotion guy. Mm. And that's another story. He got screwed out of all the royalties and everything. But anyways, so, so I went to my father and I said, I want to start a publishing company. Now, dude, I don't even really even know what a publishing company is, but right. I'm thinking this is You're what like we got to have. You're like 19 or 20 honestly. at that time, right? Nah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like, I don't really know what this is. I'm just going, yeah, we need a publishing company. He says, okay, you go find a writer because you're over there in the studio and you're probably going to run across a writer quicker than I will, right? So I, <clears throat> this is literally 200 yards behind the studio is this little mega records office. So I walk back over to the studio. I say to Ray's secretary, I said, I'm going to start a publishing company. I need to find a writer. And she says, well, there's a, you know, that there's that guy who's been hanging around with Ray some, that long, long haired guy, even. And I said, yeah, the guy with the real long hair, that even, even Stevens guy. She said, yeah. She says, you know, I think he's really good, but I don't think Ray really likes him. So I said, yeah, that guy even. So, so I had a 914 Porsche. And the great thing about clothes and everything I owned could fit in the Porsche. <laughs> because I could really couldn't hardly afford the place to live, but I was so caught up in having cool cars. So, anyways, I jump in my little car. This is all in one day. I go down the road to the little market, and you know, and I don't know why I was going to the market. I was running down to the little market to get something, and I see him walking down the sidewalk. So I whip over in my little car. I jump out, and I said, "Hey, are you even Stevens?" Right? And he looks at me kind of funny. He says, "Well, yeah. Who wants to know?" And I said. Well, I just want to know you're that guy even. And he says, well, yeah, I am. You're that songwriter. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe you were a bill collector. <laughs> so, yeah, for true. So anyway, so I get him. We go back to the studio. We had a little wall and sack tape machine. That used to be the tape machine. He had a reel-to-reel tape of three songs. One of them was literally five minutes long. It had something to do about hugging a tree. <laughs> but anyway, so I took, then I listened to that. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool in a way. you know. So I took him over to my dad. My dad listens to it. And he meets with even, and he says, he says, you know, I don't know about these songs, but this kid wants to be a hit songwriter so damn bad. I'm willing to bank on him. This is the start of Deb Day Publishing. Mm. And that's what I said. I'd like to tell you that I was some brilliant kind of guy or something, but I was, I was just riding the destiny, man. Yeah. <laughs> and so here's the thing. So even starts bringing me these demos, right? And I'm listening to them. And the song's okay, but I like this guy singing. Who's the guy singing? He says, it's a guy named Eddie Rabbit I've been writing with. That's how I meet Eddie. Gotcha. So, so Eddie, he got his start writing for other people as well. So, Kentucky yeah, Rain. Yeah, Eddie, well, Kentucky Rain. And, I mean, that, and Eddie, Eddie was the biggest Elvis fanatic freak on the planet. He yeah. had every line of dialogue of every movie Elvis had ever done memorized. <laughs> And his other thing was Star Trek. He had every episode memorized. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really bizarre. But he was an Elvis fanatic. And if you look at his old videos and stuff, you'll see Elvis moves in his performance and stuff. Okay. 
now now I'm going to have to <laughs> go back and watch some. Yeah, go to YouTube and dig yeah. up some of it. You'll see. You'll yeah. see. You'll, you'll, once that I've told you this, you go, oh, my God. Yeah, I see that. You know. So, so what was so unique about these demos? Let me just, I'm sorry to interrupt you, man. But, yeah. but that even was bringing was Eddie had a sound on sound two track tape machine. And Eddie was putting his own harmonies on his lead vocal. And I had never heard it. And nobody had ever heard anybody do that before. Huh. And it was so cool because Eddie put on the third and the fifth harmony part. And that was Eddie's sound. That's what made Eddie. Yeah. That was his sound. He'd sing his own harmonies and nobody had ever heard it before. That's cool. So let's talk about the first couple records that he, he ended up making. Um, cause okay. they're, cause they're pretty country, you know, they were, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's definitely that slide guitar that's going on. And yeah. you know, if you listen to the album that's simply titled rabbit, you know, I hear, right. mm-hmm. I hear very much mm-hmm. the sound of what the mid seventies country, uh, was, yeah. was yeah. trying to well, do. Well, it was, and it wasn't at that time living in that moment in that it was very edgy. Yeah. Looking back on it now, all these years later, it wasn't, but at that time it was, but you know, you know, Hey, humans are a herding animal. We run in packs, whether we think we do or not. <laughs> That's why we all love that photo of the sheep looking in one direction, but that one is turning his head, looking the other direction. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, because we really all move in packs, whether we think we do or not. So, so we had that in uh, uh, that first record. So <clears throat> I went into the studio. Eddie had three songs. We picked three songs we liked and we went in the studio. And Ray Stevens wouldn't let me use the studio unless, unless there was billing going on and something was happening. So at the time, his ex-wife, now Penny, he, he was always in the studio like six days a week. But on Saturday, Saturday night, that was their date night. And he wasn't allowed to go to the studio. So I know I could, I knew I could sneak in the studio on a Saturday night because Ray would not show up and I wouldn't get in trouble. So we went in the studio on a Saturday night and I put two Neumann U87s on the acoustic guitar and two on his vocal. And we had the first 24 track machine in town and I spread out his vocals and his acoustic. Now, Ben, nobody on the planet had ever done that before at that time. Okay. Why would you need two mics? Nobody had ever done that, but I was always trying to just think outside the box. What could I do? What could I do? That was just, you know, something different. So I took his vocal, I had him spread out on four tracks. It took me about two months to talk musicians to coming in one at a time and run those three songs and build up three records. What what were those three songs? I wish I could tell you the titles. Yeah. One of them made, one of them is on that rabbit record. The other two weren't. I can't. I'm forgive me. I'm sorry. It was so long ago that I can't remember them. One of them made it of the three. But at the time when I got those three done, I started calling some labels and I couldn't get anybody to call me back. So I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I'm trying to call these people and I can't anybody even even call me. So he made a call to Russ. I forget the gentleman's name, but. But anyways, the guy was the head of Electro Records at the time. Okay. Because you got to remember at the time when you were head of a record label at that time in Nashville, you may have had four employees max. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't like where it is now. They were just teeny little things. So he called up this guy, Russ, and he said, I think my son has something special with this guy, Eddie Rabbit. You should take a listen. That got me my meeting, and that's who signed him. <laughs> um, I know. I know. Yeah. So anyways, that first record. Yeah. So anyways, that first record. Yeah. I thought. You know, one, look, man, one, I mean, you, you know, if you take that song like Drinking My Baby Off My Mind, yeah, that was out there. Eddie went into falsetto, Drinking My Baby. Mm-hmm. Nobody was doing that. I mean, it, at that time, it doesn't seem like that now, but in that time, in that moment, 
we were that sheep looking in the other direction. Right. Line them up down the bar. I'm going to try and wash away all these loving scars. Now don't worry about me weaving, I'll be all right. Show me the door when you close up tonight. Cause I'm drinking my baby off of my mind. No, don't worry about me weaving, I'll be all right. Show me the door when you And that song, you know, yeah, I, go ahead. Because I was just going to say that I felt like Variations was more of that slow tra- transition from straight up country, you know, like songs with a uh, uh, room at the top of the stairs. Because I right. felt like Rabbit with the song, I Can't Help Myself, that felt right. really straight up country, in my opinion. That was like, you know, he yeah, country. Yeah. And so yeah. you get to the next record, and I, I felt like that was. But you more... know what? There's no steel. There's, there's not hard, really hardly any steel guitar in any of those records. No. Yeah. And every yeah. record was made with steel guitar. And here was an, another big change with Eddie Rabbit was, was as we went on, a lot of his intros didn't have licks on them. They were just rhythm. Because I yeah. didn't want, because in the beginning, you could, you just didn't have a hit if after every vocal line there wasn't a lick on the on the electric guitar, the steel, or somebody doing a lick or the fiddle, and I hated that. Right. And so, so as you listen to those records, you won't hear those. You won't hear a lick between every vocal line. So, like I said, you look back on it now, it doesn't look radical, but at the time, it was. Yeah. So, would you have considered yourself a country guy back in the day? Or were you kind of leaning on? No, I've never considered myself yeah. a country guy. I was. I always felt I was a. I always felt I was a guy who made pop music that fit on country radio. I really wanted to be out in L.A. making records out there. I mean, you know, uh, uh, they called me up to, to to start and run Warner Brothers Records here in town. And I turned right. the gig down because I said I don't want to do that. I want to move to L.A. and be and be a, a you know around Russ Tittleman or Tittleman around those guys. I want to be working with those guys. So they went, Oh wow. Okay. I turned down three label games. I turned down uh, Arista with Clive Davis. I turned stuff down because, because uh, you know what? I felt like, I felt like when I was in the control room, I was the, I was the best. Yeah. When I was in that control room, man, I was the best, but I felt like if I was sitting behind a desk, I just won a 500 dudes, man. You know, it wasn't what I trained to do, you know? Right. I wasn't a negotiator and the business guy and all that stuff. And I didn't give a crap about it. And my yeah. dad used to go, man, you're turning down these record label gigs. I said, dad, it's not who I am. It's not what I trained to do. You know? Yeah. You, you still wanted that artistic license, which it's all I wanted, Ben, it's all I wanted. It's all I ever cared about. All I wanted to do was make music. I didn't want to be a star. I didn't come to town, you know, well, you know, I was second generation, but, but most everybody came to town to try to be a little crap about trying to be a star. Right. And that's why I don't go out. I, you know, I go out and do a little bit of writer shows a little bit, but I don't have this burning desire to like, to like for everybody to know who I am. You know what I mean? I never wanted, you know, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the star who never made it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it wasn't my drive. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you would have worked for Clive Davis, would you have had any artistic license? No, that's why I turned the gig down. Right. Because I did Tanya. Right. I produced Tanya Tucker for him before he had a country division. Yeah, because he wanted to launch a country division with with her, and so he invited me down to Puerto Rico. I think it was spent three days at the convention. So I spent three days, day and night, with Clive Davis. He'd rented out this presidential suite that must have been the whole top of the fucking hotel. It was massive. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm hanging out with him. And after we had done, I said, I can't do this. I don't want to do it. He says, what do you mean? I want you to run a label. I'll set up the thing. I said, I said because, because I'll get caught up in trying to make records for you instead of me. And if I lose me, I'll never cut another hit. Yeah. Yeah, what do you, what do you think of uh, Tanya's little resurgence that she's having right now? God bless her. I'm so thrilled for her, man. Do you realize what Tanya's been through and hard, you know, I mean, hard yeah. thing and all that stuff that Glenn Campbell, all the stuff she went through. You're 13 years old and she got a record deal, all that. God bless her, man, so much. I'm so so happy for her. I am. Me too. I loved I loved the chance to work with her at the time, and it, even though it was a fiasco. And you know what? If I saw her today, we'd give each other a hug. You know, I'm just so happy for her. Absolutely. All right, man. I've totally got us off off tangents here. Um, so <laughs> so, so let's let, let's go back to variations because I. The, okay. All right. You know, the 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 topic that you said. Well, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a country guy. I'm a pop guy. Hey, can I say something before you get into that? Yeah. You were going to ask me. Okay. Remember you gave me you sent an email or something. You said I always like to ask who are your inspirations. Yeah. Remember that? Okay. And we haven't talked about that, but I thought about that. Okay. My my main inspiration at the time was uh, was Peter Asher. Great. The James Taylor and Linda Ronstadt records. Absolutely. And the reason was was because I believe the job of the producer is the least amount of production to deliver the song and the artist. And the whole purpose of the production is to put the artist on a, and the song on a pedestal. And I felt Peter Asher was the genius and best at the least amount of notes and music and musicians to get that job done. And I wanted to be that guy. Yep. Yeah, I've been going through a little bit of a uh, Linda Ronstad um, rabbit hole <laughs> lately because I watched her documentary a couple weeks ago. And so now um, every time I go to a record store, I seem to be buying. Yeah, I seem to be buying Linda Ronstad records. In fact, I bought I bought another one today. Uh, and there you I, go. And I actually yeah. found uh, Eddie's uh, Radio Romance on vinyl. Uh, way in the, way way in the back of the band, way 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 in the back. I got to work with Linda one night. It was really an honor. I produced an album on JD Souther. Okay, called called Home by Dawn back in like eighty four or something like that. And Linda came in to sing a duet with him. It was one of the thrills of my life. As Don Henley came in and the Eagles came in, it was just you know it was a wonderful time for me. So that, anyway, variations. Okay, yeah, variations. So <laughs> so. You know, going back to your conversation of of you know, I'm I'm a pop guy. So when yeah. I listen to "I Just Want to Love You," for instance, and don't be offended when I say this, yeah, it it feels like it's got a little bit of the a disco vibe because the strings arrangement is kind of yeah. similar to what my friends and I used to joke about, where songs had disco strings. You know, because there yeah. were a ton of. Yeah artists yeah. during that time that were using those orchestral strings in their songs, but yeah. it, it seemed to work, right? Because it was a number one hit. And your body 
Yeah, it was a number one hit. Well, you know, let me just go. Let me sidetrack for just a second. Yeah. Okay. I get this one. I remember talking to the Nashville string players and they were, they were going to get together and try to have the synthesizer outlawed. What? So, well, Ben, what I'm trying to tell you is that, you know, that sheep looking in the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. You look back on this 20 and 30 years, it doesn't look radical, but at the time, okay, that synthesized sound was the coolest thing on the planet at the time. The first time I ever heard it was on Mickey, on Mickey Newberry's trilogy album. Mm-hmm. When Wayne Moss and a couple other guys created that sound with the steel guitar and, a, and, a, and, a, and an Ebo and a violin and stuff and created a string sound, a unique sound we hadn't heard. Up until that time, that you brought in 8, 12, 16 violin players, viola player and one bass, whatever, and you put the strings on. You know, It wasn't about... It wasn't about trying to copy sounds. It was about trying to come up with new sounds. Yeah. And so at that time, we were coming up with that sound. But, you know, and then you go disco. Okay, I get that. All right. But but what about when the Rolling Stones came out with that one song and it's got the disco beat in it? Oh, Miss You is totally a disco. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm saying trends can be so strong. That the old thing, if you can't beat them, join them. Absolutely. There's some times when trends are so strong, okay? Or, or, or you know, you think, like I said, we're herding animals. You think that, that, that you are moving in another direction, and maybe you're not, you know? Maybe at the time you believe you are, and sometimes belief is enough. But you, but you know what? <laughs> I can still listen to Miss You and know that it's a good song. Absolutely. Because yeah. it does start with a song, doesn't it? BMI's famous quote, it all starts with a song, but you know what it does. Yeah. 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 So that's about the time that I think that I think that uh, Eddie crosses over, and maybe you can you can uh, when Eddie crossed over. Tell me I'm wrong. Okay, no, when Eddie crossed over, for the most part, was when I started writing with Eddie and Even. Yeah, my pop influence is what is what turned part of that corner. So was it was it every which way but loose, or was it the the albums that came after every every which way but loose i didn't do right snuff snuff garrett did it and i and, and it broke my heart because at the time i'd done everything on eddie and the head of the label of Electra records went you don't get to do this one it's for the movie you just have to let this one go he uh, said trust me it'll be the best thing i know snuff garrett got it, okay and i said yeah no but i've done everything he said yeah i know you know so anyways i didn't do every which way but loose but no we'd already we were already crossing over or eddie would never even have gotten every which way but yeah. loose. The first crossover really started with suspicions. Okay. Do you yeah. know that suspicion you know that suspicions charted up in the upper twenties almost to the teens before they found out that he wasn't a black R and B artist? No. Really? At the time? Yeah, it charted in the R and B charts, yeah, at the time. Interesting. Because you listen to the song, it's the coolest ass song, man, like yeah. that. It's a great R and B song. And that's what I meant when I said roll the tape, this is a great pitch. For an R and B cut, you know, and you know, and it turns out to be, like I said, the most performed country song. It was very weird, you know, funny thing. But Eddie was Eddie was on such a roll and going so well that that Nashville couldn't stop him. Yeah, What's, CMA couldn't stop him. You know what I mean? So, so who came who came first as far as the crossover stuff? Was it was it Alabama? Was it Kenny? Was it Dolly? Was it Eddie? Or was it just kind of all of them together? You know, it was, it was really, 
on the pop side of it, it was Eddie. Kenny was gigantic, and so you know he was huge and that. But yeah, but 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 forget all, get all the way back to the Everly Brothers. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? If you want to really get into it, get into the Everly Brothers and some of that. So it wasn't like I invented crossover. I'm not going to even even <laughs> lay claim to that. But 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 we were. I do believe we were definitely on the front edge before. Uh, 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 so I think suspicions predates nine to five and the dolly stuff and that, you I know, think it, I think it does too. Yeah. 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 You know, I actually did the first digital album on Dolly Parton in Los Angeles. Which one? First digital, first digital recording, the real love album. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's completely all digital. And you had a number now, one. Chuck Ainley's one of my best friends, and he always swears to God he did the first one. I said, no, actually, <laughs> I did the first one. It just wasn't in Nashville. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and Real Love was a number one hit for you, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. Huge yeah. hit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that was a weird thing, because I'd called up Michael McDonald, and I said, man, I want a song. I want something like like your song, Real Love, or something, because I, you know, one of your cool songs. and so I never could find it. And I talked to, to, uh, <coughs> God, uh, I, I hate that. I can't remember her name. Another gigantic songwriter artist that had 15 million albums. I was trying to find, you know, cause when you had Dolly at that time, you, you know, everybody wanted, wanted to cut by Dolly, you know? Yeah. And so I, you know, I got with Randy McCormick and Spady Brandon all the time. And I said, man, I really want something like real love or something like that. We were, we were going to write. And they said, well, let's just write that. And I said, no, man, that's already been a hit. They said, you can't copyright a title. Let's just write that. You know, to this day, I still, I mean, between you and I, I know that's been a gigantic song. I still feel bad about that, <laughs> that, that I wrote that title. Honestly, I really do, you know. And I like that record. It's okay, but it's a little kind of, you know what I mean? So, it was, you know, it was kind of contrived, but you know what? It, 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 it fit the moment and the time and, you know, it worked, you know? Absolutely. But, you know, I had, I had, uh, I don't know, four or five number one records off that Dolly album, man. Yeah. That was, it was big. No, it was huge. It was yeah. huge. It was like, it was her last album for RCA and Joe Galani had come to me and wanted me to do it, you know, at yeah. the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I, and and with the crossing over, I mean, I know with the advent of MTV and everybody was making videos. Eddie was on the first artist on MTV. I, I was think just, about that. I was just <laughs> going to say, um, but what's really weird is I can't find any of the official music videos on YouTube for for any. Oh, of to go songs. back and see that, yeah, yeah. No, but they were playing Eddie Rabbit on MTV in that first year. They sure were, man. Yeah, a- and then that all stopped because <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, it all, yeah, it all switched over at the time. Yeah. 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 And when did CMT become a thing? That was like 83, 84, right? Yeah. But that was, that was Jimmy Gersio. You know, at that time I was going up to Caribou ranch and cutting up at his studios yeah. up in the mountains. And, uh, and, and I became friends with Jimmy. I love Jimmy Gersio. And, uh, and I remember when he started CMT, you know, and you guys, you guys cut a couple records up at Caribou, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We did uh, 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 
yeah, a lot of big hits up there, man. It yeah. was a great place. I saw a UFO up there, man, for real. All right. I did. Oh, I did, man. Come out of the studio. My wife, I'd been working. The studio was a barn, and I and, yes. and I was at night, and I worked in there in the dead of winter, you know, and it was all snowing and stuff. So my wife comes in, and uh, she looks all freaked out. And I said, what's the matter? She said, I just saw a UFO. And I said, oh, come on. And she said, and I, she says, no, I did. I did. And I said, oh, come on. She said, I'm not walking back to that cabin because the place had a bunch of cabins. So we each had our own cabin. She said, I'm not walking. She says, I'm not walking back to that cabin by myself. I said, okay, I'll walk with you. you know, we go outside. And I said, where'd you see the UFO? And she says, right there. And all of a sudden, swear to God, out of nowhere, this, this cigar shaped beam green light thing comes hovering over the pine trees and sits there, man, doesn't move for like a minute. I'm sitting there jaw dropped looking at this thing. And all of a sudden, Bam, it darts in behind the mountain, man. No sound. And darts in behind the mountain. And I'm not and, and so I go talking to Gersio. I don't even want to tell the rest of the story, but I don't, you know, but anyways. And he was probably saying, Wow, there's some good drugs up here at Caribou. No, no. He was saying, Come in here and sit down and let's talk about this. Because right. uh, uh I see these all the time up here. <laughs> anyways. Okay. okay. <laughs> anyways, I'm telling you, man, I did. Cross my heart. I did. Awesome. I'll never forget it. It's like it was yesterday. It was the wildest thing. So anyways, I'm a believer. If anybody says they've seen one, they really did. I'm with you. There you go. All right. Let's go through a couple, couple songs. So I, I want, okay. I, I kind of wanted to, to, to kind of get the same kind of stories like you, you shared with suspicion. So let's, let's go through a couple. So I can't, I, I, I can't decide whether or not Suspicions or Step by Step is my favorite Eddie Rabbit song. Wow. So, so what's the story behind that song? Okay, so for months we've been doing that stupid skit that the Three Stooges were doing, yeah. wherever they got it from. The slowly I turn, step by step, mm-hmm. an episode of Three Stooges, and so we would do that, just whatever. You know, when you spend a lot of time with somebody, day and night, all the time, you get weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, you know, like bands and things. So our thing was we got hung up in this that stupid ass Three Stooges thing, and so. We're once again, we're done with the whole album. Everything's done. It's that morning. Now, I think we know we're going to the studio for one last little song. And so we're sitting around. It's about 8 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. We had a 10 o'clock downbeat. Uh, we had a fire going in one of those cabins up at Caribou Ranch. And <clears throat> Eddie's, Eddie's sitting on the couch, got a guitar. I'm hanging out. Eva's in the kitchen making scrambled eggs for us. And, and I stand up in front of the fire and I go, slowly I turn, step step and eddie starts into that rhythm pattern that's the song and off we went first step take her out treat her like a lady second step tell her she's the one you're dreaming of third step about that time we yelled at even said even get in here wrote that song and cut it on the 10 a.m session that morning that's crazy just <laughs> the 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 just the fact that that step by step and suspicions two super big songs there wasn't a whole lot of of they're all like that big. production they're all like that. that that's crazy 
That's so. You no, know, they're all like that. They were just. They were. They were meant to be, man. I'm telling you, man. I felt like you know there was a destiny, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so step by step, that was off of step by step. You guys ended up step by step. Yeah, you guys yeah. ended up uh, calling it that. What What were the other songs that were released as singles off of that? You remember? Step by step. You know, I don't. God, I should have. I should have done my homework. Oh, someone could lose a heart tonight. That oh, was- someone could lose. I started that, and and I had a house out in Lake Sherwood, out in Thousand Oaks. And I started writing that before I met up with Even and Eddie. Uh, it was kind of an Eagles influence thing. Okay. And uh, uh, and I went there and had had that little piece. And uh, um, there's a full moon out tonight. Na, 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 na. I had about that much of it when when, when we got together. And uh, and that's the first time I'd ever worked with Billy Joe Walker, Billy Walker, who's passed away. God bless him. Yeah. The, incredible musician and uh i lived on lake sherwood and he lived on lake sherwood and we used to and we had bass boats in our own little docks and so and i knew he was a big session player and he knew i was a successful producer and and i'd see him on the lake and we'd wave at each other and uh and we became buddies and we fished together sometimes before we went into hollywood to go work but we never worked together so the first record we ever worked on over a year later was that record gotcha so who who came up with the uh the the little singing pattern for the you know with all this kissing and hugging and heavy breathing that, that that's that, Eddie that's Eddie that's it that's Eddie that's the Elvis thing think about it ah oh totally. this kissing and hugging and heavy breathing that's oh. Eddie see I mean that's where, that's the Elvis see that's what I'm talking about yeah absolutely all the conditions are right someone could lose a heart Someone could lose a heart With all this kissing and hugging and heavy breathing Falling under the smell of the love you're weaving It's gonna get crazy, baby, if you don't stop Someone could lose a heart tonight Someone could lose a heart I think I skipped over Horizon. You know, and, 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 and the reason why I think I skipped over it in my notes is, so I'm, I'm, I'm going through Spotify. Um, and that's kind of where I'm getting all my discography, uh, for, for this, um, realize horizon is not on Spotify or Amazon music. Really? No, I have, I I have no idea why. I mean, I I don't know why. Okay. I was just going to ask you if there was any, no, reason, I mean obviously I'm I'm missing I'm missing out on royalties. What the hell? <laughs> where's my naturally. where's my five cent? Where's my five cents? Right. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, some of the songs are on you know the greatest hits compilations and whatnot, but right. Um, right. The, the album itself is is not out there. So yeah, let let's talk about the obvious ones from Horizon because that's. That's probably considered... I drive my life away. Yeah. yeah, those are those are yeah, they're huge. I mean, dude, I just took a BMI check to the bank today from work, almost forty years old. You know, so <laughs> you know, and and both singles went to number one. They were huge. Yeah, huge. So my question is, why why were there only two singles released off of Horizon? Considering that both because of at that time, that's all you released off of an album was two singles. Yeah. I mean, they wanted you to make two albums a year. 
Yeah, I was going to say you guys. Maybe... We felt like we had. We felt like everything we did was a single, but they wouldn't put that many singles out off of a record. Okay, even even though you just had a number one hit with it, it's just the way it was, man. It was That's... a different time. Okay, that seems crazy because, uh, like, I would have, I would have totally released. What would I write as a single? I would have. What t- a song, huh? I, I mean, what a brilliant song, absolutely. isn't that? Absolutely. And you know what? We knew those were. And they were never going to see the light of day because you just didn't do more than two singles. They just don't come easy when there's nothing left to say. Seven forty-seven was seven forty-seven was a song of Ed's, yeah. Could that could, he he'd written seven forty-seven, mm-hmm. flying so, me back home, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally could have been a single, and he he ended up re-releasing that on um, the album know. we did with Even or, or yeah. with uh, with Richard Landis later on or what? So, yeah, it was yeah. The, it was the record that he did in what ninety-one ten rounds or I think that's what it was called. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's talk about radio. I love a rainy night. Yeah, let's talk about love a rainy, rainy night. night. Okay, I'm at Caribou Ranch. I'm in the studio. I'm, I'm finishing up another project, another album. In the middle of mixing, I turn to my engineer, Peter Granite. I start snapping and clapping my hands. He looks at me funny. He says, "What are you doing?" I said, "Wouldn't this be a great sound to make a record around?" <laughs> Two days later, I'm in Nashville. I'm snapping and clapping my fingers like this. Yeah. And I said, Eddie, I want to make a record around this sound. He says, I've got a chorus of a song. It's just, it's called A Love Rainy Night, but I don't have any words. That's all it is. A Love Rainy Night says, I think it would fit that sound you got. He and even and I wrote the song in 30 minutes. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Well, I love a rainy night. I love a rainy night. I love to hear the thunder. Watch the lightning when it lights up the sky. You know it makes me feel good Well, I love a rainy night Such a beautiful sight I love to feel the rain on my face Taste the rain on my lips In the moonlight showers Showers wash all my cares away I wake up to a sunny day Cause I love a rainy night yeah, I love a rainy night Well, I love a rainy night Well, I love a rainy night Ooh, ooh, I love a rainy night Driving up is so big, you got to make a movie called Roadie. We get the script. We're thrilled. We've never done anything for a movie. We're, we're, we're out of our minds about it. We read the script. We get ready to start writing. And I said, 
well, what happens if we write something to the script and the movie bombs and all of a sudden we got a song, nobody knows what it means. And Eddie goes, well, you know, roadies <coughs> are really like truck drivers. Why don't we just write the world's greatest truck driving song? There's driving my life away. <laughs> oh my gosh. They've all got these crazy stories man. Yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So how about radio romance? So I just bought, I just bought the vinyl today. So one of the singles you can't run from love was also yeah. a number one country hit, but yep. I tried Pop to f- pop. I think, yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to see if the, if it had charted on the, the singles chart and I, I couldn't find it on the singles chart or maybe I just overlooked it, but I think it was top 10 pop. A lot of those were also number one adult contemporary too. A lot of yes. the crossovers because we were hitting three formats. Yeah. At that time, at, th- at that time, Eddie was gigantic. And, 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 and when an artist gets like super, super big like that, uh, you keep trying to write the world's greatest song. And I'll never forget Eddie. We were all uptight and trying to write and Eddie saying, you know, all this started with three chords. Let's just try to write, write three chords, you know? So anyways, we ended up, we wrote that in the kitchen at Deb Dave at our publishing company. You can't run from love. I love that record. That's one of my, I just love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a great record. It won't matter where you go. It's going to find you. The biggest song on that record, though, was, of course, not one of yours. That was You and I, and the credits are yep. to... Uh, That's Frank Myers. Frank Myers, yeah. Okay, I'm producing Tanya Tucker for Clive Davis. Frank Myers is on the road with Eddie Raven. Eddie Raven's good friends with Tanya Tucker. Okay. Frank's hanging around in the studio. I've got, I'm up to my, up to my uh, neck and elbows and everything else uh, because Tanya is, uh, God bless her, but she's... Right. In a different, different space than she is now. So, <laughs> so locking herself in the bathroom for an hour or two hours at a time, you know, I'm trying to make a record with Clive. Right. So, yeah. so Frank's hanging around Frank says, I got a song I want you to hear. I said, Frank, I don't have time to listen to a song. I said, go down to the publishing company and play it for my dad. Frank goes down. My dad, my phone rings about an hour later. It's my dad. He says, Hey, you need to listen to this song that this kid Frank's got. He says, I think it's a hit. That's you and I. Okay, so I said to Eddie, I, I listened to it. And I said, hey, this is a hit. And Eddie listens to it. He says, yeah, it's a hit. He goes, yeah, it's a hit. And we didn't write it. So we're in the studio trying to cut this song. And Frank wrote it on the guitar. But to me, it already sounded like a piano. Yes, song. I couldn't. I, and so I don't know if I could. It was written on guitar. Yeah, I don't know if I could listen to it on a guitar. That it seems just like, sound like piano to me. Yeah. So, so we did it on the piano. So at the time, we're trying to cut it. Eddie starts trying to sabotage it. We didn't write it. We never had cut anything we didn't write. <laughs> So Eddie's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, Eddie, we got to cut this. This is a hit song, man. Come on, man, please. You know? So anyway, so we cut it. And it's just, it goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus when we mm. cut it. Now, when I'm listening to it, I'm going, well, God, it gets to the chorus too quick. I really need, I need to be two verses to this before it gets to the chorus. And Eddie, we all agreed, you know, it needs to be two verses. So I said, Frank, I need you to write another verse. So Frank keeps writing these other verses and, and they just weren't, they weren't any good. To the point that I'm going, 
I'm thinking, God, did he even write this song? These verses aren't any good at all. So, so anyways, so I did, I thought, well, we should have a duet. We never had had a duet. So uh, Chris Gale was on, on Warner Brothers Records. So Jimmy Bowen was running the label. And I went and said to Bowen, I said, I really would love to do a duet with, with Chris Gale. And he said, okay, yeah. You know, so, so I go over to meet with Chris Gale over at Alan Reynolds studio. And I've got the track of the song and Eddie's vocal on there. And we're, we're listening down. I said, I said, the writer's trying to write a second verse. Then in the meantime, here's the song, make sure she likes it, you know? So she's listening to the song. She listens to the first verse. Okay. Now, now what I had done in the meantime is I took, I, I Ray Stevens had two 24 track tape machines. So I made a copy of, of the, of the recording and I took the first verse and I cut it into the same first verse. So I had two verses musically into the chorus while I'm waiting on Frank to write the second verse. So what she's hearing is Eddie's vocal, Eddie's first verse vocal twice. Okay. So Eddie goes, just you and I sharing our love together. Right. So, so then it goes into the next verse and it's Eddie again doing just you and I, and she goes, just you and I sharing our love together. She goes, sharing our love together. And I said, that's it. She says, what are you talking about? I said, that's how we'll do the record. She said, I'm just trying to learn the song. I said, no, that's how we're going to do the record. Perfect. I know. Don't you love that? I mean, it's just, I've had the best time of my life, man. (laughs) Yeah. So let me finish on you and I, because you and I ended up being, you and I ended up winning uh, uh, an ASCAP award, I think seven years in a row. Okay. All right. If you ever listen to that record, that's Eddie's vocals, the exact same vocal twice. Yes. Never re-sang it again. It's the same vocal. She just answers it. So it sounds different. Just you. Sharing our love together And I know in time And I know in time We'll build the dreams we treasure And we'll be alright Just you So considering you were you were producing Tanya at the time, how come you didn't uh suggest that Tanya be the 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 female counterpart? Did it just seem more like it this was a crystal this was a crystal gale song? No, it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with that. Let's just leave it at this. God bless Tanya, I'm happy for her. But she was not necessarily in her right mind at the time. Yeah. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm happy for I'm happy for all of us. Well, who are, I, do, who are doing well. So yeah, I I couldn't hear that song without it being Crystal and Eddie. But uh, yeah. I know, well, yeah, you know that's it. When you do it right, you can't imagine anybody else ever doing it. How about Love will turn you around? Let's get off Eddie for a second. Let's yeah. talk Kenny Rogers. Okay, yeah, Love will turn you around, Eddie. Okay, Kenny Rogers is making a movie called Six Pack. Yes, about a NASCAR driver. They needed a song. His brother, his his his. Uncle Leland, Leland Rogers called me. Kenny at that time was the biggest artist in the whole world. 
I got a call about them needing a song. Okay. I didn't realize they put that call out to 50 other people too. I thought it was just us. Gotcha. So anyways, so I said, great. I said, I want to like to meet with Kenny and talk. And he said, well, tomorrow night he's playing up in Louisville, Kentucky. I said, good. He said, I'll get you back there. You can meet Kenny. I said, great. So I said to even, let's go up to Louisville, Kentucky and meet with Kenny Rogers. Okay. He says, great. I said, I said, let's take a tour bus. So we got a double Eagle tour bus. I said, let's get a driver and a tour bus and we'll set up a little studio in it, you know, and, and we'll come up with a song and an idea. So by the time we meet Kenny, we got something going. So we work, you know, three hour drive in the tour bus. We're up there and we got this piece of song. Well, by the time we get backstage to see Kenny and I'm never really starstruck, but here's Kenny Rogers box in. Well, fuck, even and I couldn't remember anything when we saw him. It was like, hey, man, God almighty, this is Kenny Rogers, you know? So we went to, we said, we got something we started and we kind of mumbled through something and he grabs the guitar, takes the E string, tunes it down and starts going, boom, down, 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 down. He says, here's something I started. He goes, how do you know where to stay or to go? How do you know if it's real? Don't need a sign to make your mind. Da, 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 da. He said, that's all I got. Make something out of that. <laughs> Swear to God, man. Now I got into no, I, now I've got no tape recorder. I don't have anything. Okay. I've got him just singing that to me. He says, I got to go. I said, what should we write it about? He says, see my show. You'll figure it out. So now we've got front row seats <clears throat> to his show. And in between every song, we sing that piece back and forth to each other. So we don't forget it. We get on the tour bus that night. We start playing with that piece. Even says, you know, this is perfect for Tom Schuyler. This is like up his alley. We stop at a payphone, call Tom Schuyler, wake him up. This is like 1230 at night. Oh, geez. He stays up. We meet with him the next morning. We've not been to bed. We meet with him. He works on this thing. And a day and a half, two days later, I'm in L.A. with Kenny Rogers recording this song after we sent him the demo, right? Yeah. So we see, we go out there to record with him. We've got a 10 a.m. downbeat the next day. Even and I fly out there. We stay at the La Mirtage. We rent a two-story, two-bedroom suite. We rent matching 450 SL, SL Mercedes. You know, we're out there, man, and 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 we're hanging out. And 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 uh, um, so the next morning, 10 a.m. downbeat, I get to the studio at nine o'clock. Control room, the studio is in this tiny little, it's at Lionshare Studios, and it's this crap studio. In the other room, Lionel Richie's working on Kenny's album and all this, and I'm in this, like, podunk crap little studio he's got to cut this song with him. <laughs> he's got his whole road band in there, and this thing is about 25 by 25 feet. He's got, like, 11 people in this room oh, geez. to record. And and all the movie people are in there. Kenny's at the control room, and they've already started. We At 9 a.m., we got a 10 o'clock downbeat. I walk into this, okay? And there's, there's, it's so packed in the control room. I'm wedged up in between two tape machines to the back of the wall. And Kenny's up at the, at the recording console on the mic going, no, it's not working. It's not working. So we're listening. We're listening. Okay. So finally, even looks at me, he's with me, even looks at me. He says, I'm going back to the hotel room while you, uh, while you work on this. Okay. So I go to Kenny and I go, can I talk to you? He said, okay. So we go outside in the hallway and I said, listen, man, I said, this is a real dream come true for me to get to work with you. It really is. You know, I said, but this isn't working. He looks at me. He says, you're right. You go in there and fire them all. I'm going to go take a tennis lesson. <laughs> His road band who he'd promised for five years, they were going to be on a record. Oh, wow. 
and 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 you had to and you had to fire him. I had to fire him. Yeah, yeah. I had to fire him. Yeah. Oh man. Any <laughs> well, anyways, uh, in that day and a half time we were out there, I cut the song three different times until uh, you got to the record that you know that was another huge hit. You know. Yep. Yeah. Right when a man's doing all that he planned And he thinks he's got just what he needs Life will deliver a shot that will shiver And driving him down to his knees Make him start giving Living, living again Well, it's your mind That tricks you So, so at what point do you stop working with, with Eddie? Cause after radio romance, um, you know, I'm looking at the discography. I don't see any writing credits for you on like best year of my life. And being no, alive. that was even, even did that. Yeah. Even always wanted to be, be a producer. I'd produced everything and, and I love even, but this was even's chance to produce and work with Ed. And, and I felt like musically I had taken it as far as I could take it. Yeah. At this point, I'm ready to move on. At this point, I got Dolly going. I got Roseanne Cash going. I got Rodney Crowell going. I got, you know, I got, you know, David, you know, John David Souther going. I got stuff going. And I want, you know, creatively, I want to move on and I want to go do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was completely amicable on on your completely. part. Completely. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally, man. Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Now, did you, did you kind of keep tabs of what they were doing and putting out not at all not in the least <laughs> not uh, in the fucking least <laughs> i was done man i was done yeah i was done i didn't have any jealousies there's no ego about it i was just marching on i was doing my thing you know so so at what point do you go work for the label what what year is that i worked for the label a couple different times you know i got hired by billy Sherrill at cbs when i was about 22 years old and yeah. Did that for three months because drive my life away. I mean, because uh, drinking my baby had kept the Tammy Wynette record of his out of number one. He wanted to know who the who the kid was in the engineering department had done that record. So I did that for about three or four months, and then I quit. And then I got offered labels, which I didn't take. And then I worked at Electric Asylum. I did that for a little bit, and then I left that. You know, yeah, I probably could have been worth a hell of a lot more money if I'd have just stayed in the middle of all that stuff. But it just just wasn't what I wanted to do. You you don't come across as a company guy <laughs> to me. Yeah, I'm not a company guy, and I and just, I and I mean that yeah. in the in the 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 best of. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. No, but I'm not not. It yeah. wasn't. You know, I just yeah, it wasn't. You know, yeah, it just wasn't. And I knew I wasn't. That's why I turned the jobs down. It just I wasn't the guy. You know, I knew I had a gift in the recording studio, and that was my gift. It wasn't. It wasn't sitting behind a desk in negotiations, man. Yeah. You know. So you guys had a good run. So were there any other artists after that, that you felt like um, you had even close to having that kind of run? Uh, there were one-offs, the Dolly thing, Roseanne Cash. I don't know why you don't want me. She got the, she got the Grammy for vocals of the year and did that. Yeah. And 
yeah, I had some other things. I never had, I never had the unity kind of thing like I did with Eddie. You know, that was, you know, I never had that again. I did, you know, I do have a, you know, I did make a lot of friends and make a lot of music and, 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 you know, yeah. and, and I've had a great time, but I never felt like I had that thing I had with Eddie. And I don't, I don't know if you get that more than once in a lifetime. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, right. that was, that was, you know, special thing. So anyway, what do you think, man? Well, you guys, you guys put out some fantastic records during that time and some, some, some good stuff that is going to stand the, the, the test of time. Thank you. I think it's time for me to find my wife and drink that second martini and toast to everybody on your podcast. Dude, I've had a great time. I could talk, I could keep talking for hours, but if you got one more question or anything, I'm fine, but, uh, I got feeling dry throat. So I, I think, I think just the last thing that I would, I would ask is, you know, what do what do you think his his legacy is? To this day, I don't think Eddie really gets the recognition he really should get. You know, back in the time when they did tribute albums, there should be a tribute album to Eddie Rabbit if you really yeah. think about all that music. You know, from from you know from from all the artists you know that moved to town because of Eddie Rabbit to Tim Dubois, who said said I was trying to decide between L.A. and Nashville. Until I heard Eddie Rabbit and realized I'm, I need to go to Nashville. To Tim McGraw doing Suspicions because it was one of his all-time favorite songs. I mean, I don't think Eddie gets the credit, really, because he didn't kiss enough ass at CMA and every place else at the time, you know? Yeah. You know, and he was so reclusive, you know? But, you know, if you look at it, here's a guy who's been gone for a long time, and 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 the airplanes are still strong. I mean, Love Rain Ice has been played over six million times, driving six million times. I mean, these are these are some of the biggest copyrights in Nashville. Yeah. Some of the most most performed songs, and 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 this and there's no artist out there pushing these songs. These things are still getting played that much. What was it about him that he, that he felt like he needed to be reclusive? Because uh, so, let me ask you one one other question. Just by nature, Eddie hated yeah. being famous. Okay, he hated it. He always wanted to be famous. Then he became famous, and he hated it because he hated his loss of his privacy. Because yeah. you realize now, get this. I'm going to leave you with one thing. Okay. Okay. When I met Eddie Rabbit, he was already 36 years old. Yeah. He was already 36 years old. Tell me anybody at 36 years old in this day and age is going to get a record deal. No. Who's never, who's never had one. No. Right. He was yeah. already 36 years old. He was already set in his ways. He was already used to his time and his privacy. He was never married. And, you know, he got married later. Janine, but but he was he was on his own and he liked his life that way. And then when he became famous, he lost all of that and he hated. He he had disguises. He would put disguises on and shit so he could go out and try to be normal. Or mm. people recognized him in the airport. He denied that it was him. You know, he said I look like him. People tell me that all the time, but I'm not him. You know, he was a, an unusual guy. You know, I thought all artists were like that. So I started working with other ones and realized how out there he was. You know, yeah. And I mean that in the best of ways because I love you and I miss you. you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, David, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, thank man. you. Thank you so much Appreciate for coming it. on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I think we, I think we covered it. So. All right, brother. I'm going to go find my sweet wife. Thanks. I've had a great time and, and I love talking about it. I don't get it very often enough. Thanks so much for asking me to do it. I've had a great time talking about it.